0: If you want to open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23, we're going to be starting with verse 1. Um, I hear like a. Hmm. I hear the screen going up behind me. Yeah. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I knew that. Um, We have a church family supper right after the second service. We invite everyone to come to it. It's a great time of uh, uh, fellowship. And also I want to mention the fact that uh, this week we're actually going to be um, painting the main office and this part here, you know, where we've had it plastered and the door taken out, we're going to be painting that as well. So anyone who can help this week, we're going to have the main gathering on Friday, but if you're not available Friday, anyone who can come in, bring boxes, we're going to be packing up the main office um, in order to have everything out of the way in order to paint it. So if you can come in any time this week, but Friday is going to be our special day of coming in. And um, also, um, I think that's it, I think as far as what we're going to be having done. Um, I want you to uh, also open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. You know, one of the things I was thinking about as, uh, you know, we're singing this morning is how blessed we are as a people. You know, today, in fact, I forgot to mention it, we're collecting the Christmas child boxes, you know, Franklin Graham's organization. And um, last um, evening, Vi and I were packing up our Christmas child boxes. And uh, we got one for a girl, one for a boy. And um, anyway, I was deflating soccer balls you ever deflate a soccer ball and try to fit it in one of those little boxes? Because they said that's a wow gift for the kids. And anyway, we're packing these boxes up, and all of a sudden I was thinking, these kids are going to get one of these plastic shoebox things that has, what, maybe $25 worth of stuff in it, and they're going to be so happy. We saw the, the video last week, so happy. And I think of all that we have, and then I was thinking, who really is the most content? You know what I'm saying? They get a little shoebox and they open it up, and they're just out of their minds, happy. And we sit around and say, "I got a Kia Sorento, and I wanted a Lincoln Navigator. It's just not fair." You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying. I'm a little facetious, but the point is we don't even know how to appreciate sometimes what we have. I don't mean all of us, and I don't mean all the time. But we have so much to be thankful for. We really do. And God, on top of all of that, has given us his son, Jesus Christ. That any of us who are born again have the assurance of eternal life. Christ in us, the hope of glory. How beautiful is that? And we truly are a blessed people, aren't we? Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that dwells within our heart, that is the sign sealed, deposit, and assurance of our salvation. And I ask, Heavenly Father, as we break open your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us in a very powerful way, that we sense and know your presence. And you would speak to our very inner being, and just show us those things we need to learn And, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would also motivate us to be your witnesses in this world. This world is becoming darker and darker. But one thing about a dark world, Lord, is that the light shines even brighter. And so I pray, Father, that we would be your light in this world. And use us, give us every opportunity, Lord, to share our faith, to lead others to Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. In the Gospel of John... Chapter 8 and verse 34, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Sin will always take you further than you ever intended to go. And once you allow yourself to be involved in sin, you will become a slave to it. It will become your taskmaster. But verse 35 says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, Oh, I love this verse. Look at this. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, and it's a capital S talking about Jesus Christ, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. What are we free from? Sin and death. Even though we mess up, and throughout the week, and maybe even throughout the day, uh, even throughout the morning, maybe throughout the hour, you know, we have our little difficulties and we fall and this and that. You have been made free in Jesus Christ. You're a son of God and you're going to heaven. What a promise that is. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. You know, we look at our world and we see everything that's going on, and it can be very depressing and it can be very disturbing, but the fact is, for we as believers, it shows us the time is near. Pastor Chuck used to say, and his wife always called him silly for saying this, and he he used to say, Look, honey. The Christmas decorations are all up in the stores. We must be getting close to Thanksgiving. And we all laugh because we know what we're talking about. But the spiritual implication is this. Hey, church, look it. We realize that this world is coming to a place where it's ripe for God's judgment. The rapture must be right around the corner. Because he has promised that his bride, his church, would not be here When his wrath is poured out on the world, and so we know that the time is short. You know, and I I don't want to get political or get off topic in this and that, but so many of us who are believers we're we're nationalists as far as our political understanding is concerned, and we know that many people in this nation and throughout the world are um, what they call globalists. In fact. Just take a note if you want to and look up the Fabian Society. We're talking about going, going back 250 years. And uh, their whole premise was gradually we take over the world for socialism. So anyway, the point is I believe, my own personal belief, okay, I believe that President Trump is like Cyrus, not necessarily a believer. I don't know whether he is or not. But he is being used to hold back the tide of globalism until the church is taken out of the world. And then I think the tide's going to be like a tsunami going throughout the, throughout the earth. I really believe that the timing of the Lord's coming for his church is very near at hand. Do I mean next week at 2 o'clock? I have no idea. Do I mean next month, next year? I don't know. But I know it's at hand. Because scripture tells us when we see all of these things beginning to happen, lift up your head for your redemption is near. We're, we're in that time. Praise God. So anyway, we're going to be getting into Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 1, and we're going to be looking at the feast days. And the, one of the things that we have to understand is all the feast days of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. Did you know that? All the feast days. And, um, you know, some people have said that the Old Testament is Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. Well, I think the Old Testament is Christ revealed as well. I mean, he's right there. Everything that you read about is pointing to Jesus Christ. Okay, um, Leviticus 23, starting with verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath to the Lord in all of your dwellings, in your homes, as you say as well. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed time. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. We all know about the Passover. We studied that when we were in Exodus. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. And the seventh day shall be a holy convocation, and you shall do no customary work. Now, it's interesting, as far as the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it was for a week. And the the first day, of course, of the week is the eighth day, is what we call Sunday. And as far as, uh, um, you know, they were concerned, it's the first day of the week. And, of course, the last day of, of the week, which would be their Saturday was also a holy convocation, and we're going to be talking about in a moment how the Lord changed the weekly Sabbath from Sunday, or I mean, I'm sorry, from Saturday, the last day of the week, to Sunday, the first day of the week, and you see a clue of it right here, but we're going to be talking about that in a moment, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf. Now, a sheaf was a measurement of grain. It was usually in stocks, but it was actually a measurement. It was a particular amount of grain. uh, Of first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day, when you, you wave your sheaf, a male lamb of the first year, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be... Two tenths of an ephah," that's also a measurement, about a quart and a half, "...of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be uh, wine one-fourth of a hen." That would be like a, you know, maybe a, a pint of wine. "...and you shall eat neither bread nor parched uh, grain uh, nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God." It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So the first convocation that is mentioned, the first day that is mentioned that is to be set aside by the Jews is the weekly Sabbath. And if you look at verse 3 right there, it makes it very clear. Six days you shall work, do all your work, but on the seventh day you rest. And we have to understand that the Sabbath was never meant to be some kind of a rigid legalistic you know obligation it was a gift because the bible makes it very clear that as believers we're supposed to work if a man does not work he shall not eat his bread and so god wants us to work hard but in his love he gives us the gift of the weekly sabbath where we can stop from all of our labors and have a chance to rest and to be refreshed in him The only real refreshment is in the Lord. Now, one of the things we have to understand is that God set the seventh day or last day of the week as the Sabbath of God in relationship to his finished work of creation. In fact, if you want to uh, write down a scripture, write down Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. And it makes it very clear that God was using his creative power, and he created all the heavens and the earth, and in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, the word rest there in the Hebrew does not mean like he was exhausted. It simply means he no longer was doing what he was doing. That's all it means. He rested from what he was doing. God doesn't get tired. And so he just rested from what he was doing, because everything was finished. Everything. You know... Vi and I sometimes in the morning when we're getting ready for church or getting ready for the day have some very interesting uh, conversations and we're talking about blood corpuscles today. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're saying, you know, you think of how complex one erythrocyte, it's a red blood cell, how come, I use the word erythrocyte just to show you that I know what it is. But anyway, um, you, you take one red blood cell, okay, and you think of how complicated it is. And we think of God creating, he must, you know, he must have been up there going like, let's see, how am I going to work this out? Corpuscles, you know, red blood cells and white blood cells, how am I going to work? No, no. God is so far beyond that. When God said, let there be light, he didn't have to figure it out because he knows all things. There was just light. And when he created everything on this earth, including man, he just said it. Let there be And because he is the creator of the universe, because he is king of kings and lord of lords, because he is beyond all and before all, all he has to do is say, Let it be. And it is. And that's the confidence that we can have in our God. That's the power of the God that we serve. It's absolutely amazing. Now, the Sabbath day for the church, and there's been a lot of controversy over the years concerning this, was changed to. The first day of the week, rather than the last day of the week, Sunday, and um, well, we know that God rested from His finished work of creation, and then the next day was His Sabbath, Sabbath day of rest. Well, we have to realize that Jesus Christ, who is our Sabbath, right? Isn't that Scripture tells us? Jesus Christ finished His work of redemption on the last day of the week, and on the first day, he rested. He rose from the, from the grave. And so for you and I as believers, our Sabbath is the first day of the week, Sunday. That's why we gather together. Now, in Mark chapter 16, verse 9, it says, Now when he arose early on the first day of the week. So we know his resurrection was on the first day of the week. It tells us that, when he rose early on the first day of the week. And um, we know the disciples met to worship. Now, this is the first century. These are the disciples. They met to worship on the first day of the week. If you take notes, write down Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And um, John, when he was in the Isle of Patmos in what we call the Revelation, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And the weekly Sabbath, the church started calling it the Lord's Day. It still was a sabbatical rest from all of our normal work, but it was the Lord's Day. And I think the reason was, it's an understanding that it's not just a day of hanging out. It's a day that we think about the Lord. It's a day that we worship Him. It's a day that we come you know, into communion with Him. It's a beautiful gift from God. And um, there's a difference between the way many people... Um, consider the sabbath some people consider well it's our legalistic obligation you better be in church if you're not in church you know probably lightning's going to strike you and you're going to hell but we're supposed to approach the sabbath with grace and with mercy and understanding that we're here because we want to be and because god desires to bless us because one of the things you need to understand i've had people say to me Well, you know, my child or my grandchild is going to be, um, you know, in a symphony or or playing a sports event or whatever it might be on a Sunday. And and, and, and what do you think about me? Where where should I be? You should be with your child. That's where you need to be. It doesn't mean you make a habit of missing Sundays because Sunday, when we gather together, is for the very purpose of being instructed in the Word of God. You know what I'm saying? If you're a good student... You go to class, right? I mean, there's some kids, they hardly ever go to class, and they wonder why they flunk out. If you're going to be a good student, you go to class because you want to learn. And so we gather together to learn. My purpose is not to point fingers and tell you how you should live. My purpose as a pastor is to teach you what the Bible says and let the Holy Spirit apply it to your life. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful? (laughs) I'm not. Now, I I love what it tells us in Hebrews, if you want to turn to that, chapter 10. And I'm going to read verses 23 through 25. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 23, I'm going to read 23 through 25. Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What is the confession of our hope? Jesus died for our sins, rose again for our redemption, and ascended into heaven as the first fruit from the dead and as the promise that we also will ascend to be with him. That's our hope. Okay? Um, Confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Faithful. You know, a lot of times we make promises, even to our children, and we're not able to keep those promises because we're mean and we don't want to, but it's because sometimes we're not able to. Any promise God makes, He's able to to keep. And so His promises are faithful and true. Verse 24, let us consider one another. And so as a family, as a church family, as a body of believers, we're to consider one another to stir up love and good works. So it doesn't say we come together to stir up strife or to get angry at one another. We're to stir up love and good works. We come together, we fellowship before the Lord, stir one another up in the love of God and doing the work that he's called us to do. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know, so often we use the word exhort in the wrong way. It means to encourage. Did you know that? The word means to encourage. So we come together to encourage one another. Guess what? Jesus is coming back. What an awesome thing it is to be a believer. You know, boy, let's pray for one another. Let's pray for our unsaved family and friends. Let's pray that God gives us his Holy Spirit that we might be able to go out and share the truth with the lost all around us. That's the purpose of gathering together. Now... In verses 5 through 8 of Leviticus that we're in right now, 23, it's all about the Passover, and, and which is the and think about what the Passover was all about. It was offering up the Lamb for two reasons. Number one, that they were going to be delivered from the captivity of Egypt. And number two, that God was leading them and would also forgive all their sin. Well, it's interesting because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Did you know that? In fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, and this is where Jesus was going to be baptized. He was going to the Jordan to be baptized. A little off track here a little bit, but one of the times that we went to Israel, uh, it was such an amazing thing. Vi and I obviously were already believers and were already baptized but we had an opportunity to be baptized in the Jordan right where John the Baptist baptized Jesus Christ it was unbelievable but anyway Jesus is coming you know uh, to the Jordan John the Baptist is baptizing there and John he sees Jesus coming towards him and in verse 8 of chapter 5 I mean I'm sorry uh, Verse 29 of chapter 1, I was looking up at the wrong verse. John 1, 29. the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Listen to this, behold. Now, you have to understand, the word behold in the Greek doesn't mean like, Hey, look. It means, Whoa, look. I mean, it's a powerful word that we have no English translation for. Okay? So, John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world unbelievable in first corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 the last part of it says it says for indeed christ our passover was sacrificed for us he is the passover lamb he is the sacrifice for us for our sins that we might have every transgression we've ever committed forgiven and wiped clean he not only forgives us but he doesn't remember Jesus, you know, remember when I did this or that? And he goes, no, I don't. You already confessed that. And if Jesus chooses not to remember, he can choose not to remember. You know why? He's God. And he can do what he wants. And why he chooses not to remember our sin, I'm very thankful for. I don't know why, but I'm very thankful for it. He remembers them. You know who remembers our sin? Us and other people. And they're wrong. Because if anyone reminds you of your past sin, they're wrong. I remember someone uh, used to have a t-shirt that they wore, and it says, when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. (laughs) I like that. Now, his sacrifice, okay, for sin... um, does not have to be repeated over and over and over again like the passover was done every year in fact that model of the tabernacle that we have in the wilderness was where they would also give or or offer the passover lamb on a yearly basis but jesus died once and for all he doesn't have to repeat his sacrifice because he's alive he's living he didn't you know it's not like the passover lamb it was dead after it was sacrificed jesus rose from the dead he's alive And in, um, I I love this, in Hebrews 7.25, it says, Therefore he, capital H, talking about Jesus Christ, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, listen to this, since he always lives, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And you know, I love it when he says it saves us to the uttermost. Because sometimes we can have a tendency to be thinking, well, I I know I'm saved, but am I really good enough to get into heaven? Am I good enough to receive the reward from God? No, he saved you from the uttermost. When he saved you, he saved you. You might not be everything that you desire to be. You might not be everything that the Lord uh, really desires you to be. But you're saved. You're not saved partially. You're saved completely. I heard someone once say, and I agree with this completely, when you're born again, you receive all of the Holy Spirit. But when you're a brand new believer, the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily have all of you. But you have all of Him. And then as we grow in the Lord, we're able to release more of our flesh and our own desires into the Lord's hand. And then He has more of us. Now, the very next day after the Passover began, and we just read this, began the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what would happen is the Jews would go meticulously through the house, even looking for crumbs of leavened bread in order to remove from the house. They would actually use a feather, and they would use a light, you know, it was just a candle light, kind of, And they'd go through the corners of the house and sweep up any uh, uh, of the old leavened bread and throw it out. Now, we have to understand, all through Scripture... Leaven is analogous to sin. All through Scripture, leaven is analogous to sin. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. A little sin is going to go through your whole life. And so this is all about the idea of removing leaven or removing sin from our lives. And for you and I as believers, after we're born again, understand God is so awesome. The instant you're born again you don't have victory over all your sin. In fact, you might be still dealing with a lot of the sins that you dealt with before you got saved. But as you grow in the Lord and with his patience and with his graciousness and the power of his Holy Spirit, he gives you the ability to start sweeping a lot of the leaven out of your life. So a lot of the sin out of your life. Things that you used to do, you no longer do. And how thankful, you know, I am for that. You know, like I, I don't mean to belabor it like I'm bragging about it or anything, because I'm not. But you guys all know that before I came to the Lord, I had a serious drinking problem. In fact, I was an alcoholic. But I was a, a very high-functioning alcoholic. I worked hard all week. I was a school teacher at the time, and I worked hard all week. But from the time I got home on Friday until I went back to work on, on, on Monday, I was drunk. And people say, well, how did you overcome? And I said, it was actually a one-step program. Jesus. (laughs) And I'm not saying it was easy, and I'm not saying it was quick. But Jesus is the one who gave me the victory to step away from alcohol. Well, Jesus can give you the victory to step away from anything that is holding you down. Because I'll tell you what. We live in a world... Where temptation is probably higher and more available, you know, sin is more available than it's ever been. Anything you can set your imagination to is available. It's amazing. And so you and I, as believers, have to take even a stronger stand. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your power, your dunamis. The word dunamis is the word we get dynamite from. And dunamis in the Greek means the ability to do. Give us the dunamis, give us the power. To do what you've called us to do, Lord. That's what we desire more than anything else. Now, in Romans... In fact, I'd like you to turn to this. This, We're just about finishing up here. Romans chapter 6. Now, you understand that... um, It's only the Holy Spirit that gives us the victory over sin. That's why before we're saved, there's many times we've tried to have victory in a certain area and it never goes anywhere. But it's only in the Holy Spirit we have victory over sin. And our victory over sin doesn't mean we never sin again. And you might be thinking, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is this. When we talk about sin, we're talking about something that is persistent and continuous in our life. It's part of our life. And when the Lord gives us victory over sin... That no longer is a part of our life. It's not something that we continually do, but we might fall to. See the difference? You might fall to it, but that's when you cry out to Jesus, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. And uh, as I mentioned last week, you don't have to go back to... It's not Monopoly. You don't have to go back to go and start all, all over again. When you cry out to Jesus and you get back up, you get right back up where you, where you left off, and you keep moving with him. You know, I tell you over and over again that I love proverbs, and it tells us, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked fall by calamity. So the, I, the sign of being a righteous man isn't that you never sin, the sign of being a righteous man is what? You get back up and move on with the Lord. Romans six, starting with first scene. first uh, verse, verse scene. you know what first scene is? I don't know. Verse 14. Romans six, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. See, the point he's making is sin doesn't have dominion over you. If you fall to sin one time, it doesn't mean you're, you're done, you you finished, you, you, you know, you've lost everything, you're no longer with Christ. Sin doesn't have dominion over you. But it doesn't mean that we can say, you know what? I can go and sin because Jesus keeps forgiving me. That's what he's talking about here. You don't do that. Verse 16, do you not know to whom you present yourselves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin, listen to this, leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness, but God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. I mean, how amazing is that? And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness, for lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as Slaves of righteousness for holiness, for whom you were slaves, uh, uh, for, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? You know, we look back and oh man, I can't believe I did that. For the end of those things is death. Now here's where it gets so awesome. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God. You have your fruit of holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that awesome? You know, in 1 Corinthians 5, the, the very first part of verse 7 says this, Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly are unleavened. And so you and I as believers, it's in Jesus Christ that the leaven is removed. And it's in Jesus Christ that he continues to remove the leaven. I can't wait until that day comes when we're with the Lord and we don't even know how to sin. But while we're here in the flesh, it's a battle. It's a race to be run. It's a life to be lived for Christ. And it would be wonderful if the day you got saved, it was like, and all of a sudden you were like Jesus you never committed sin. You never had any wrong thought or anything. That's not the way it is. Because we are still in the flesh at this point. But the Spirit is the one that is to have dominion over how our life is run, not the flesh. <clears throat> now, it's interesting. The sheaf offering, which is way before the Lord, was an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord for the fruit that he has given us. In First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 20 through 23, it says, "But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, also capital M talking about Jesus, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, all are made alive. And you know, we, we think of whom the Son set free, who the Son, SON, has set free. Is free indeed. You're free. You're free indeed. You are a child of God as a born-again Christian, and nothing can take that from you. No strong man, no thief, no one can take that from you. When you committed your life to Jesus Christ and were born again, you have eternal life. Now, you have to understand, a lot of times life goes like this. And you might be in in a valley. You might be in one of those valleys right now, and you're thinking, oh, how, how can I be? Because it's the work of Jesus. It's not your work. Jesus Christ has set you free. You're born again of the Spirit. And if you're going through a difficult time right now, if you're going through a trial, just give it to Jesus. You know, mountaintop experiences are wonderful, aren't they? Ah, oh, I'm saved. I love Jesus. Life is good. Life is grand. Everything's going great. My kids love me. My grandkids love me more than they love their parents. And, you know, uh, Just joking. But, you know, you had all these mountaintop experiences, but you want to know something? Do you know where the battles are fought? In the valley. I, I shared a, a teaching years and years ago about David and Goliath. And the Israelites would stand on the mountaintop. And yell to the Philistines, we're going to get you, we're going to kill you. You know, that's, you know they're all happy on the mountaintop. And then Goliath would come down into the valley of Elot. And he would say, come on, fight me. And then all the Israelites would run away. But where did David fight Goliath? In the valley. And it was in the valley he defeated Goliath and cut off his head. Our victories in Jesus are often, most often, in fact, probably almost always fought in the valleys. That's where we have the victory in Jesus. There's victory in Jesus. We love that song. And you know, today, we are celebrating communion. What a beautiful name, communion. It means to be joined together as one. And our communion is first with him, but also with one another. And it was so beautiful, because... It, was actually, it wasn't actually the Passover. If you read the Gospel of John, it wasn't the Passover that Jesus met with the disciples in the upper room. It was Preparation Day, the day when the lambs were killed, the day Jesus was killed. The Jewish day begins at 6 in the evening to 6 in the evening. And when he met with his disciples, it was Preparation Day when they would be killing the lambs. It was the very same day Jesus was put to death on the cross as our sacrifice. But anyway... They had the Seder dinner set up the day before the Passover began. And Jesus took the unleavened bread just like this. And he broke it in front of his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. The point he was making is I'm giving it all that you might be redeemed. I'm giving it all that we might be together forever. One of the things that's so awesome for you and I as believers to understand is that we will never be separated from one another. Neither the things of life nor death can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We're always going to be together. Only without these mortal bodies, we're going to have glorified bodies. Read 1 Corinthians 15. What a beautiful promise that is. But Jesus told his disciples that night, he said, my body's going to be broken for you. Why? Why? That you might come together as one body, as the family of God, to serve me throughout eternity. That's why the Lord's Supper or communion, it says, like on our communion table, in remembrance, do this in remembrance of me. We do this in remembrance of all that Jesus Christ had done. And then, after Jesus broke the bread and he prayed, he shared with his disciples the meaning of the communion, he passed both the bread and the wine out to his disciples. And then they partook of it together, recognizing the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the fact that he came to earth in the flesh to live the perfect life, making him the lamb without blemish, the perfect sacrifice for sin. And his blood was shed that our sins might be cleansed. And anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's the promise of God. And so as we participate in this communion together this morning, brothers and sisters, think of all that God has done for you. And you didn't have to do anything except accept it. Just accept it. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this great promise that you've given us of eternal life. And I pray that you would bless this sacrament as we uh, share it with one another. And I pray that you would prepare our hearts Help us, Lord, in, our, in the quietness of our hearts. Make our confessions known to you, Lord. Because we know if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so now prepare us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brothers, could not pay. And he paid a debt he didn't owe. And he did it for no other reason than agapeos, complete love for you. Brothers and sisters, God loves you. And we participate in this as an expression of our thankfulness and reception of his love. Therefore, brothers and sisters, take, eat, and drink and be so thankful to your God. Thank you, Lord for what you've done for us. Make us, Lord, worthy servants by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends, and have a blessed day. Sun's out. (laughs)